0: From Las Vegas, you're listening to Verve Church for people who don't like church. Thanks for tuning in. Do you know the author Anne Lamont? Uh, She has written seven novels, about 12 nonfiction books. She is great. Uh, She was raised in San Francisco in the 1960s, kind of a hippie flower child, extremely liberal, free spirit, lives in a houseboat. When she was 30 years old, spring of 1984, she found herself pregnant from a relationship with a man who she did not love. She did not want to have a child, let alone his child. And so a friend took her to get an abortion. After her friend drove her home to recover, she felt just enormous sadness. And she tried to push the sadness away with the pain pills the doctor had given her, and she washed them down with alcohol. And she would drink through the day, through the night, through the pain, through the sorrow, day after day after day, night after night. On the seventh night, she noticed that she was bleeding profusely. But a few hours later, the bleeding stopped, exhausted. She crawled back into bed, frightened and alone. Her her weakened body trembled as she turned off the light. She lay in the dark, quiet and still. And then she felt it a presence, someone was there, she she was sure of it. So she turned on the light by her bed, but nothing, no one. Finally, she turned off the light and she lay again in the dark, still and quiet, waiting. And she felt it again, the presence had returned. Someone was in the room and this time she knew who it was. It was Jesus. Which didn't make any sense. She didn't believe in Jesus. She didn't want Jesus, but she still says she felt his presence there with her. How did she respond? She says, I was appalled. I thought about my life and my brilliant, hysterical, progressive friends. I thought about what everyone would think of me if I became a Christian, and it seemed an utter impossibility. I'm sorry, and it seemed an utterly impossible thing that simply could not be allowed to happen. I turned to the wall and said out loud, I would rather die. I hear that and I get it. I mean, that's pretty much how I felt when at the age of 20, I first encountered Jesus and the idea of Christianity. Uh, Today, we're starting a new series called The Pursuit. what are you pursuing and who's pursuing you? It's going to prepare us for and lead us into Christmas together. God is a pursuer. God sent Jesus for the pursuit. But Jesus didn't really pursue everyone. I mean, yes, he, he was here for everyone, but he especially pursued people who were considered especially sinful. Uh, that mission of Jesus to the sinful is foreshadowed in his uh, genealogy, which we find in the Bible, like in the book of Matthew, uh, which is not typically talked about. People consider it boring, but is especially appropriate at Christmas time because it shows like what led to Jesus' birth. Uh, the genealogy is like Jesus' family tree. You know, it's the part you may pray of this father was the person, was the father of this person, was the father of this person, was the father of this person, or the old version's uh, translation said say, this person begat this person, begat this person. So, so the this genealogy in the book of Matthew is perfectly constructed. It, there are three sections, and each consists of 14 generations. It is written with a very distinct and consistent rhythm, except... For five phrases. Uh, each of these five phrases mess up the rhythm. Interestingly, each of these five phrases is the naming of a woman. And that's very interesting because Jewish people at the time did not include women in genealogies ever. Uh, the fifth woman mentioned is Mary, Jesus' mother. And uh, and then I'm gonna show you the first four. Okay, Mary's the fifth one. I'm gonna show you the first four. So here's what we're gonna do. First, I'll show you the genealogy without the five phrases, okay? And you'll see the rhythm. So the, here's the genealogy. Search out. This is the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. And here we go. Abraham was the father of Isaac. Isaac, the father of Jacob. Jacob, the father of Judah and his brothers. Judah, the father of Perez and Zerah. Perez, the father of Hezron. Hezron, the father of Ram. Ram, the father of Emadab, whatever that is. Um Amadab, the father of Nashon, Nashon the father of Salmon, Salmon the father of Boaz, Boaz, and it goes on and on. The father of the father of the father of. Okay? So you can see how nice that flows. All men, all father to father to father, perfect rhythm. Except that's not all that Matthew wrote. Now I'm going to show you all that he wrote because I left out the four phrases, okay? And what we'll do is we'll highlight the four phrases just to make sure you take note of them, but you will anyway. So this is a genealogy of Jesus the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac, Isaac the father of Jacob, Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers, Judah the father of Perez and Zerah, whose mother was Tamar, Perez the father of Hezron, Hezron the father of Ram, Ram the father of Amadab, Amadab, the father of Nashan, Nashan the father of Simon, Salmon the father of Boaz, whose mother was Ruth. Rahab, Boaz the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth. Obed the father of Jesse, and Jesse the father of King David, David was the father of Solomon, whose mother had been Uriah's wife. So you can see how those four phrases wreck the father to father to father to father consistency, and how they wreck the rhythm. It's kind of like this. Some of you know the old song um, goes like this. 100 bottles of beer in the wall, 100 bottles of beer, take one down, pass it around, 99 bottles of beer in the wall, 99 bottles of beer in the wall, 99 bottles of beer, take one down, pass it around, 98 bottles of beer in the wall, 98 bottles of beer in the wall. And it's just the same rhythm, right? All the way through. If you know the song, it takes about two hours to sing it, uh, which I don't think anyone's ever sang this in like a church sermon. So congratulations to me. But, um, right, and so you just sing it, it says the same thing, same rhythm, okay? But let's just say, instead, someone sang it, and we all know the rhythm, we know how it goes, but they did it like this, they said, 100 bottles of beer on the wall, 100 bottles of beer, take one down, pass it around, 99 bottles of beer on the wall, 99 bottles of beer on the wall, 99 bottles of beer, take one down, pass it around, 98 bottles of beer on the wall, 98 bottles of beer on the wall, Budweiser beer, the king of beers. 98 bottles of beer, take one down, pass it around. 97 bottles of beer on the wall. 97 bottles of beer, ice cold Budweiser. Now available in Bud Light Lime. 97 bottles of beer, take one down, pass it around. You'd be like, come on. Obviously, you wanted everyone to notice what you added in. It's not supposed to be there. It goes against the rhythm. That was product placement, right? You're promoting Budweiser, which is why you threw it into a rhythm to disrupt the rhythm. You want us to make sure we noticed Budweiser, right? Exactly. Matthew wrote this in a way, you know, three sections, 14 uh, generations in each, perfectly constructed, except these five times where there's women included, and he wanted you to notice. Um, These are, again, we left out Mary, who's the mother of Jesus, but these are Jesus' great-great-great-great-great-great-grandmothers, Tamar, Rahab, Ruth, and Solomon's mother. They're all women from the Old Testament of the Bible. Uh, Tamar was a woman who uh, pretended to be a prostitute so she could trick her father-in-law into having sex with her and getting her pregnant. That's who Tamar, Jesus' grandmother was. Uh, Rahab was a prostitute. That was her job. Uh, Ruth was a non-Jew, so not one of God's people, who married a Jew, which was a marriage which was strictly prohibited. And then the woman identified as Solomon's mother and Uriah's wife is Bathsheba. Uh, King David committed adultery with Bathsheba and then had her husband, Uriah, killed. Why doesn't Matthew name Bathsheba like the other women? I don't know. I think maybe he calls her Uriah's wife because he wants us to remember David's sin. Think about all that. This is Jesus' genealogy. These are his human ancestors. Instead of choosing the pure or noble for Jesus' great-great-great-great-great-grandparents, God chose very sinful people. And then chose, instead of kind of ignoring it, sweeping it under the rug, he chose to highlight their sin, product placement, to make sure that everyone who had ever read the Bible would take note of it. So, uh, sin is bad. Okay, It's bad because uh, when we sin, what we're doing is we are not loving God and we are not loving people. Uh, sin is bad because it hurts people. Sin is bad because it separates, okay? Sin is bad, but some have the impression that our sin makes God lose interest in us, maybe even reject us forever. No, God wanted you to know that when he came to earth as a person, he made sure he had a bunch of sinful, great, great, great grandparents. And when he came to earth, it was for sinners. God sent Jesus to help us understand that God does not run away from sinful people. He runs to them. He runs after them. God is a pursuer. God sent Jesus for the pursuit, and Jesus came to pursue sinful people. In our series, uh, we're going to explore, we're going to study a chapter in the Bible, uh, Luke 15. Uh, Luke is one of the Gospels, the four books of the Bible that walk through Jesus' life here on earth. And here's how Luke 15 starts. It says, Tax collectors and other notorious sinners often came to listen to Jesus teach. This made the Pharisees and teachers of religious law complain that he was associating with such sinful people, even eating with them. So Jesus told them this story. When you look through these books that uh, describe Jesus' life, maybe the most noticeable thing is that he was the one sinless person to ever walk the face of the earth. And everywhere he went, the most sinful people were drawn to him. We see that here. The the tax collectors were considered the most sinful people. It says the, the tax collectors and other notorious sinners wanted to be around Jesus. He ate with them. And the religious people, the Pharisees and teachers of religious law, they hated that. They thought the sin of sinful people might rub off on you. They thought holy people should quarantine themselves from sinful people. And Jesus wants them to understand, so he tells a trilogy of stories. We're going to look at each of them in this series. Here's the first one. Jesus says, In the same way, there is more joy in heaven over one lost sinner who repents and returns to God than over 99 others who are righteous and haven't strayed away. This uh, shepherd has 100 sheep. Uh, One wanders off. And so he leaves the 99 to go find the one which... know, it doesn't make a lot of sense, right? Wouldn't it be smarter to stay with the 99 to protect them? Isn't it reckless, bad math to go after the one risking the 99? And who does that? Another hard to fathom factor is the length the shepherd will go to to find that lost sheep. Uh, Jesus said that the shepherd, he he said, uh, searches for the one that is lost until he finds it. What's he saying? Then the shepherd will not give up. It gets hot during the day. He's still searching. Dark at night, still searching. He has to cross a river. A storm comes up, still searching. New Marvel movie comes out. He can't go because he's still searching. All for the one lost lamb. Why? Why would he go to such extremes? Well, he goes after the lost sheep in that way because... It's his. He owns it. He knows it. He's named it, talked to it, cared for it. It's his. And because of love. But because this story isn't really about a shepherd and a sheep. Jesus is using this story as a metaphor. He is the shepherd and you are the sheep. Check out what Jesus said in John chapter 10. Um, he says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd puts the sheep before himself, sacrifices himself if necessary. I am the good shepherd. I know my own sheep and my own sheep know me. In the same way, the father knows me and I know the father. I put the sheep before myself, sacrificing myself if necessary. Jesus says, He will do anything to find and care for his lost sheep. He will die if he has to. And he had to. And Jesus says when he finds the sheep, this is so great, he brings it home by by putting the sheep around his neck, one hand holding its back legs, the other holding its front ones. So so let, let me ask you a question. This is supposed to be a picture of someone like you or me, so, someone who has wandered away from God, someone who has rebelled against God, sinned against God. Okay, That's the sheep in the story. And then the shepherd, who is God, finally finds the sheep. So question, what do you think the shepherd is doing on the trip home? Do you think he's giving the sheep the silent treatment or pointing out everything the sheep did wrong? Is he, is he shaming the sheep? It's a good question because you might think that's how God would treat you, that he is disapproving and angry and wants you to feel guilty. If so, where did you get that idea? Because Jesus is the one who tells us what God is really like. And Jesus says that God's attitude towards you is joy. Right. That was verse where it says, and when he finds it, he will joyfully carry it home on his shoulders. Jesus is describing a joyful intimacy. God has joy because of you and he wants to have intimacy with you. You should have joy because of him and want to have intimacy with him. Back in John chapter 10, Jesus describes the relationship between the sheep and the good shepherd. He says, they follow him because they know his voice. Man, when, when you know how much God loves you, you know his voice, you wanna be close to him, you want him carrying you. It reminds me of, uh, have you seen the, the videos like on YouTube uh, of, of animals that were raised by a person and then set free in the wild or maybe put in a zoo, uh, but then later they're reunited with the person who raised them. Here's a, a couple of highlights of a few of those videos. Ooh, when, you, when you know how much God loves you, man, you don't run from him. You run to him. You want to be as close as possible. You want him to carry you. Just like the shepherd did for the lost sheep. He carried him home. And when he gets home, Jesus says he threw a party. And that's what God does when someone who's wandered from him comes home. That's what God will do when you come home to him. And if if you haven't yet, He is still pursuing you, and he will not stop until he finds you. That's what he, that's exactly what he did with me. And that's what he did with Anne Lamont. So so you remember, she was alone, she was ashamed, she was using drugs and alcohol to numb the pain. And then one night, laying in her bed, in the dark, she felt a presence. And somehow she just knew that it was Jesus. But she didn't believe in Jesus, She didn't want Jesus. She she says she was appalled at the idea that Jesus might be there. She and her uh, family and her her friends would mock what she called Jesus people. They mocked them. And so she turns to the wall in the darkness, thinking Jesus is there pursuing her. And she says out loud, I would rather die. And then she listened. And she later wrote uh, that Jesus said nothing in reply. She felt like he was just sitting in the corner. She writes, watching me, with patience and love. The next day, she tried to shake off her hangover and the memory of what happened. I mean, after all, she hadn't really seen anything or actually heard anything. She thought, who knows? Maybe it was alcohol or or drug induced. But there was a problem. Everywhere she went. She felt like Jesus was following her, like he was uh, patiently waiting, wanting her to open the door and let him in. She said uh, about this, she said, so I tried to keep one step ahead, slamming my houseboat door when I entered or left, like you're not invited here. And then uh, finally, one Sunday morning, she went to church. She she says she was too hungover to stand during the song, so she was the only one who just sat. She says the the preacher's words seemed ridiculous to her, everything he said. But then the closing song was, in her words, so deep and pure. I'll read it to you. She says the closing song was so deep and pure and raw that I could not escape. I felt like their voices or something was rocking me in its bosom holding me like a scared kid. And I opened up to that feeling and it washed over me. She ducked out before the service was over, weeping as she ran out of the church. She she felt like Jesus was with her the whole way. Finally, she came to her houseboat, paused at the door, blurted out a curse word and said, I quit. All right, you can come in. And that was, as she puts it, my beautiful moment of conversion she says i i never felt much of a choice with jesus because he was relentless that's right his love is reckless his pursuit of you relentless so uh, i want to i want to ask you two questions okay first do you know who's pursuing you that 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 sense you have That there's got to be more. The the love that that you feel like you were made for but just can't quite find. And that's Jesus. He is pursuing you, but he's not going to force himself on you. He he loves you and and he wants to find you. He wants to carry you home, but it's your choice. And man, I hope you say yes. It will change your life and your eternity in the best way possible. And if you want to say yes, man, let us know. Uh, you go to verb.cc, and there's a you can say I'm new, or there's a place where you can write us a note or a prayer request. Just let us know, hey, I would like to talk to somebody about this. I want to. I have some questions. I mean, that's what we're here for. Uh, I would love to connect with you. I'll reach out to you if you reach out to us. So, so two questions. First, do you know who's pursuing you? Second, do you know who you're pursuing? If you've been found, if you've let Jesus carry you home, then your calling is to leave home and join his rescue mission. But when you know God loves you, man, you gotta let other people know. When you know that Jesus came for you, you gotta let other people know. Uh, Jesus said, as the Father has sent me, I am sending you. As the Father has sent me, I'm sending you. So as the Father sent Jesus, Jesus sends you. God sent Jesus because of love, in love, to pursue people with his love people who had wandered away from him or run away from him to to let the notoriously sinful know that God wants them to come home. And Jesus has sent you because of love, in love, to pursue people with his love, to, to let everyone know that God wants everyone to come home, to love people to Jesus. So, Do you know who you're pursuing? God, God has put people in your life and he put them there for you to pursue them for him. You don't think of them that way, right? You think of them as your friend, your friend, your coworker, your boss, your annoying neighbor with the dogs, the the parent of the other kid on your kid's team who you sit next to and talk to, whatever. But, But for God, then those are his kids, he loves them. He, he wants them to come home. And he put them in your life to let them know. Who are you pursuing? Uh, we've talked in the past that we're about having three. Three people you're focusing on, you're praying for, you're, you're pursuing. And listen, it doesn't have to be that hard. Do you, you remember if you were uh, here, I think it was in October, um, we talked about this blessed strategy, uh, be blessed. Begin in prayer. Pray for the people you're pursuing. Uh, L, listen. Listen. Just be a caring friend. Ask questions. Listen. E, eat. Yay. Build your relationship with a person. Go out for lunch. Have them over for dinner. S, serve. Show them God's love by finding ways to serve them. And then the second S is share. Share your story, what God's done in your life. And share an invitation. Man, I go to this great church. It's different. It's church, belonging like church. Come check it out. We exist, Verve, we exist to partner with you in pursuing your friends. And so invite them to to come. Watch it online. How easy is that? If you don't like it, turn it off, but check it out. And this is the perfect time to do that. Uh, Christmas is coming up in two weeks. Research tells us that most people who don't go to church, who never go to church, are interested in going uh, at Christmas, that Well, actually what we know is most people who don't go to church are interested in going anytime. But even those who are never interested in going to church, 57% say I'd go at Christmas if someone just invited me. And so invite somebody. Man, I I go to this awesome church. People don't like church. I think you might really like it. Um, If you're in Vegas, you could tell them, you know, you can go in person. We got... Pick free pictures of Santa Claus in a petting zoo and free cookies and hot chocolate. if you're outside of Vegas, it's an easy ask of man, watch it online, just check out the Christmas service, see if you're surprised if not it would it hurt? Who are you pursuing? Because when you know God loves you and you got to let other people know, when you know that Jesus came in love for you, you got to love people to jesus so let's uh let's pray for that. And then we just got a quick announcement or two for you, and then we're gonna sing one song to end our time together. uh band's gonna lead us to a song first, let's pray god the the idea that you love us despite our sin and that you pursue us, that you want relationship with us um it's amazing it's um Thank you for pursuing us, God. Maybe there's some people watching this right now who have never known your love or realized that you're pursuing them. And um, God, I pray that this message that they just listened to helps them to know and that they respond to your pursuit. God, for the rest of us, would you help us to pursue others? You have sent us the way you sent Jesus. So would you help us to look at people as people who need to know you, who we can love to Jesus. God, who can we invite? Uh, to, to share in the Christmas service with us this year. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.